The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. Good evening. You are listening to a Rattledge Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight, I am joined by Combat Jack as we continue our journey from the corner to the deuce. How you doing, Combat Jack? Oh, my goodness, Mark Radlich. It is good to be here. Good to be here. Have you ever heard of a podcast, Jack? <laughs> I've heard of a podcast. <laughs> Wrong <jackass>. website. <laughs> <clears throat> I've heard of a oh. podcast, Jackass. That's usually me. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Man, we are continuing to go down the road of David Simon. Well, and you know, this- Jesse, we spent five months in that city of Baltimore, the chocolate city, if you were, that isn't New Orleans. And now we've uh, we've gotten in a Humvee. We've driven it to the airport. We took that airport and we've landed in Baghdad and we met Bob, Bob, Baghdad, Bob is his name. And so we find ourselves as we continue our journey from the corner to the deuce talking about Generation Kill, baby. What a stark contrast from homicide to the corner to the wire. First of all, I didn't think David Simon knew any white people. Like, because, <laughs> <laughs> my God, this is, what a white cast. They're dealing with five seasons of The Wire and one half a season of The Corner and three seasons of Homicide, baby. But Generation Kill is an American seven-part television miniseries produced by HBO that aired from July 13th to August 24th, 2008. It is based on Evan Wright's 2004 book about his experience as an embedded reporter with the U.S. Marine Corps, 1st Reconnaissance Battalion during the 2003 invasion of Iraq. That was the sequel to the Gulf War, in case anyone's keeping score. It was so nice, they did it twice. It was adapted for television by David Simon, the aforementioned David Simon, the great works that we're examining of his. Ed Burns, his writing partner, and... And Evan Wright. The miniseries was directed by Susanna White and Simon Sellen Jones and produced by Andrea Calderwood. The ensemble cast was Alexander Skarsgård from The Northman as Sergeant Brad Iceman from the, from Top Gun, apparently. <laughs> Colbert, James Ransone, who you might remember as Ziggy from yeah. season two of The Wire. Jesse, give me that line again. Give it to me, uh, baby. Z- Ziggy, put your dick away. He doesn't even pull it out on this show. I was very, very disappointed. We didn't get to see James Ransom's ginormous horse cock. Um, and Corporal, as Corporal Josh Ray Pearson. And Lee Turgeson, who got out of prison. He got out of Oz, Jesse. Uh, he got out of Oz, and he plays Rolling Stone reporter Evan Wright. But uh, 
we are not alone, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we have been chronicling the great works of David Simon for quite a number of months now. And it's just been me and Jesse, just me and Jesse sitting close, holding hands, discussing the great many things that David Simon has brought into this world. And then Andrew Graham pipes up and says, what about me, boss? He wanted to get in on the action. He turned Jesse and I's little like one-on-one -on -one action into a threesome. And so here he is, ladies and gentlemen, from the... <laughs> what? <laughs> there's, there's three of us. It's a threesome. I don't understand. Welcome to the show, Andrew. This is what it's going to be like. So just be ready. I had a bit set up for this, by the way, because Mark, I was going to ask you, Mark, am I the first guest to be on this podcast series? You are Andrew Graham of, of the Screaming Boy podcast from our Canadian North office. Welcome aboard. Yes, you Excellent. are the first. I guest. just used a podcast. That's pretty fucking ninja. <laughs> I'd also like to say to everyone that this is the best goddamn David Simon podcast in the entire internet, as long as you keep it away from your uglier daughters and your smaller livestock. <laughs> and yes, this show is eminently quotable, and I've watched it way too many fucking times. Uh, Clearly. I'm going to need yeah. you to police your mustache. That's all I'm asking you for. Don't come, don't come on my podcast and not adhere to the grooming standards, sir. The grooming standards. Grooming standards. So Andrew Graham of the Screaming Boy podcast, you um, you decided a little ways back that when we got to Generation Kill, you wanted to be a part of this. Um, I know that when you, as you Canadians apparently say, when you went to university, you went to the university, you apparently opened a book or two having to deal with a war or two. So why don't you tell us a little, in the audience a little bit about your knowledgeable experience and what made you decide to talk about this show in particular and why not the wire why not the corner why are you like racist against baltimore why why <laughs> why did you only have to come on generation kill and then fuck off after this like we can't bring you back to t discuss porn on the deuce All right, i'll shut up now <laughs> so, uh, complete honesty is because i'm trying to get the extra streaming service i need to watch the rest of those shows <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, I am interested in this stuff. I mean, you know, I am kind of one of the resident, you know, fight choreographers, last historians on this entire, uh, on this network. So mm -hmm. that's kind of my role. Um, I did Grovel do quite a bit of I was like groveling Mar Marvel apologist. I'm pretty <laughs> proud of that. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm groveling. <laughs> okay, anyway, sorry. We'll talk about, we'll talk about, you know, blaming Iron Man and Star-Lord later. But anyway. <laughs> Any case, so uh, yeah, went to University of Calgary, got my uh, bachelor's of history from there. Um, I didn't quite get enough credits to get a specialization in military history, but I did quite a bit of that throughout there. I also, at the time, um, kind of had a few friends who were in the Canadian military themselves. Uh, best man at my wedding, still an officer in the forces and, and, and things like that. Um, and that's always been kind of a period of interest. Obviously, when I was going to university, kind of 2000, I guess it would have been about 2003 to 2007 this is obviously a pretty active period this is when this war took place we had the wars in afghanistan going on so um i for a time actually considered a career in the uh the military and decided not to and uh i've just always been kind of engaged with with you know this aspect of history and this aspect of current affairs and, and things like that and when after the the rep that band of brothers built up uh, with HBO military related TV shows came along and they said, Hey, we're doing one about the Iraq invasion. I'm like, awesome. Let's watch that. <laughs> so 2001, I'm working for a foster care agency in Brooklyn when the uh, world trade center was bombed. And 2003, 
when we launched the invasion into Iraq, I was actually partying with my friends in New Orleans, and nothing stops a party in New Orleans like a good bombing of Iraq. Um, I re I was reading a lot of nonfiction uh, books, current affairs books at the time, a lot of history. I, I was pretty well, for you know, for a layman, pretty well steeped in what was going on politically, um, culturally at the time. Um, the invasion of Afghanistan was essentially, you know, this is where we think bin Laden is. We we're pretty sure he's responsible for 9-11. So we, you know, with the help of the CIA and um, some ground forces on the ground in Afghanistan, we launched the invasion there. And Don Rumsfeld, according to the Bob Woodward books, said at the time, there's no good targets in Afghanistan. And he like pouted and threw himself on the floor. You know, ask Bob Woodward. He says that that's what happened. But um. <laughs> And he's like, "There's no good targets in Afghanistan. Let's go, let's let's invade Iraq instead." Which I, I don't know if you're asking me. I think it's a great reason to invade a country. Better targets. <laughs> um. So real quick, 2003. Where are you in the world when George Bush decides? You know what? I believe the CIA and the FBI and Don Rumsfeld and um. What's his name? Anonymous guy. <laughs> yeah, that uh, Saddam has weapons of mass destruction, and he's already used them on his people once. It's entirely possible he will. E they'll either end up in the hands of Al Qaeda or some other terrorist group, or he'll use them themselves. That was the argument at the time. Uh, so let's go in there and go get him. You know, uh, where are you in 2003 when this all happens, Andrew? So uh, I was at university at the time. Uh, I think it was on my second. Mm -hmm. No, actually, it would have been my first year. Um... And, and I actually clearly remember, like, the first day of the invasion, basically, that, that syncs up with the first episode. Mm -hmm. I actually remember them wheeling in extra TVs and having the, the um, kind of the volumes turned up and, and McEwen Hall, which was kind of the big student center there. And it's got kind of a big foyer. So they had a bunch of TVs mm -hmm. set up doing all the coverage of basically the start of the invasion. I remember at the time, having lived through that. So 2003, like I said, I'm in grad school. Um I'm at home, but I'm spending a lot of time in New York City. I'm following what's happening pretty closely. The, you know, having been that close to 9/11 when it happened, I got really invested in what was going on in the world. Um, and I remember this was like the fastest takedown of a country in like the history of warfare. Like we went in on whatever day it was, and within like what two three months, if that three weeks, it was yeah three yeah it was a really ridiculously short period yeah. of time. In three weeks. We were in Baghdad knocking the Saddam statue over and claiming victory. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, Bush does the mission accomplished thing. And then the real war started. But yep. the, act the actual claiming of the country was like the shortest in history. What about you, Jesse? Any of this resonate with you? Were you paying attention at the time? Did you put down your comic books long enough to follow? <laughs> it's funny because I, I could tell you probably what I was reading at the time. Which was <laughs> I plenty, knew it. <laughs> plenty of comics. But uh, it, it's interesting that period of time in March of 2003, I'm actually in the process of moving like away from my hometown. So I wasn't paying attention to anything that was going on uh, mm -hmm. in the world. I don't recall this. This either I didn't have the TV hooked up or I wasn't watching TV at the time. Um, so I was probably if I caught anything on it, it was in passing over the radio or something like that. So is this interesting? This is a blank spot. Uh, I was in, you know, about three hours south from where I'm living right now. 
all by myself, me and my, well, I should say it was me and my wife. This was kind of our journey out, uh, as a couple into the real world. Are we going to make it? And, uh, so I wasn't paying attention to shit. I, I had no idea, like all of, I knew what was going on, but it wasn't like I was watching and keeping up with it on the news. You guys definitely sound like you knew what, uh, the current events were at that point in time, but no, me, I'm worried about fixing the arcade machines at my arcade that I'm managing. And that is it. <laughs> but I'm always down for a good war story. So this is, uh, this is good stuff. This is have... my... Go ahead, Andrew. So I was going to say, I do have one kind of somewhat funny anecdote, not about this war, but about the first Gulf War. Um, mm -hmm. A few years after this happened, uh, I was at a friend's 25th birthday party. And uh, this would have been about 2008. Um, and uh, all of us would have been around, we're all about the same age. So I would have been about around seven or eight when first Gulf War happened. And the question, and the question came up at the table. Okay. Hang on. Which one I, of you has an on. early I defining memory? I was in high school. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so old. Please continue. <laughs> I was about to say the the conversation went to like you know defining moments of of the generation. It's like okay, who around the table has a defining memory of seeing tracers over Baghdad on the TV when things were going down in 1991? And we're all yeah. like, yep, <laughs> yes, absolutely. That is the. I think credited as like when we decided to go to like 24 hour news networks, that was one mm -hmm. of the things yep. that really prompted that uh, as a thing. And now it's just really commonplace. I I'm, will, I will I'm, say I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of like the Dennis Leary bit where he was like, we've got to watch the war on TV for the first time. And he was just like, when the, and like the war was over, it ended too quickly. He was like, where, where else? It's like, I'm like, I'm, I'm hard as a rock eating a cheeseburger, watching the war on TV. I didn't want it to end. It was the best show on TV at the time. Like, where are we going to invade next? Vietnam. Surprised the fuck out of those people. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting even getting into that a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, this series kind of gets into a kind of an aspect of that where 91, you had the start of the 24-hour news cycle and things like right. that. And this gets into your embeds your, yeah. or your embedded reporters. So, so reporters well, they had embeds in Vietnam, too. I don't know if it's quite if it's quite the same way it's turned into now, where it's like it is really... You know, there were still a lot of kind of roaming war reporters, but I think the whole mm -hmm. concept of in like everybody, every publication now has their embed. Right. Yeah, there were there were news outlets that say, they may not have been embedded to where like you are right there living and breathing and working right next to the Marines. You're with them. You're part of the group. But there were definitely war reporters on the ground in Vietnam. Oh, There's yeah. Been, there have been war reporters on the ground in almost any war or you had war correspondents that were enlisted people that were report that were sending messages back sending oh, yeah. in, you know sending information back so i mean there's all there has been for the last hundred years some sort of journalism on the ground at you know in the war the thing about i think that i remember reading and, and correct me if i'm wrong andrew is the concerted effort to not lose the people they you know not lose the american people with the iraq yep. war and i think that was like the point of the embeds uh, from like Rolling Stone or whatever it was, if you're here with us and we're opening up to you and we're letting you inside and we're telling you why we're doing the things that we're doing. So Rush Limbaugh, people are like, what? Hang on. Rush Limbaugh apparently was one of the people who went to Iraq at one point. And a lot of people on both sides of the political aisle were, were sent to Iraq for entertainment purposes. Um, to at the very least address the troops. So like Henry Rollins told a story about like, you know, he got sent over there as part of like the, what is it, the USO? 
Um, and then they were like, okay, so you're on now. Go on stage. Go do something. He was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? I'm Henry Rollins. I don't have a band. Like, I, I'm just me. They're like, I don't know. Juggle, motherfucker. Do something. But go entertain him. Um, Rush Limbaugh, kind of the same thing. He went there to entertain the troops in some way, shape, or form. Um, but while you're there as part of the USO, you go and tour. You go out with the troops. They show you stuff. And Rush Limbaugh was telling this anecdote about how like he's in the Humvee with uh, with some of the with some of the um, soldiers, and they're driving like maniacs. They're like doing sharp turns and just you know like really driving recklessly. And Russell Limbaugh's like, "Is this really necessary?" And they're like, "Yeah, this is how we show these people who's boss." Wow. Um. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that, and I and I relate that to the idea of the military has, and this leads right into our discussion of Generation Kill. The military has a perspective. We have a job to do. The job is not easy. The job in involves killing people. It's not something the average person is going to ever really truly understand deep down in their soul. How it's done, why it's done, and to what end this has to be done. And we can sit here and internally debate the merits of any given war and the objectives to it and whatever else. And I was being really tongue-in-cheek with the, with the weapons of mass destruction deal, as everyone was at one point or another. But the reality is, is that the military has its own perspective on how things should be done, and they want their say, and they want to be able to tell the Evan Wrights of the world, the embedded reporters, like, hey, here's our side of the story, and people can do with that what they will. They can either take it or leave it, but at least, at least as opposed to, like, the way Vietnam was done you're not just getting like the CBS perspective and the military is like, what the fuck? That's not how like we're not getting an opportunity to defend ourselves here. You're just reporting what it is you think you should be reporting, um, which I think is probably the great strength of the series is that there's this because while a lot of it is the very picking and meticulous sort of uh, fine point descriptions of what's going on and why things are done the way they're done in military operations you also have the soldiers talking directly and somewhat condescendingly to lee turgeson the who's playing evan wright about you people will never understand what it is to be a warrior and what warriors have to do and maybe you should think about that before you make a judgment which is probably my favorite aspect of this show yeah and i, I think i'll even take that a step further mark because um in a lot of ways, I mean, the military is not a monolith, and this unit, and they don't do a good job of setting this up, but this unit is also unique. Mm -hmm. Like, 1st Marine Recon is like a, a fairly elite unit within the Marine Corps. Like, it is it is a very small, 99% of the guys you see in this show, with a few exceptions, went through kind of a selection process, and they went through all the various kind of additional trade schools, whether they be recon snipers or or... Mm -hmm you know, everything like that. And, and they're, they're kind of, and maybe I'll just set this up now, the way they're seen operating during this war and everything like that, it's very different from what they're used to doing. This is more along the lines of them. Normally how they would operate is they're operating in kind of groups of, we call them sections, Americans call them squads, but groups of about eight men. Mm -hmm. And they're fairly kind of detached units. They, they get to go up, and really what they specialize in is either reconnaissance, going up, going up, observing, gathering data, things like that. Or they're, they do what's called direct action, which is, you know, they're specifically setting specific ambushes to get specific guys. 
I think I did a little extra research on this. They're also good at, at kind of boarding searches and clearing ships and things like that. So this is very much a specialized unit. And, and they were operating in a way in this war that was very different from what they have. But again, you know, I was just watching the first episode in the scene where they're all wearing the black watch caps. And that's something that, that they see as a, a unique role for them. Mm-hmm. And even in oh. auto, it's swift, silent, deadly. So they, not all those things always being inclusive. Okay. So I know you had like a laundry list of, of technical stuff that you wanted to get into, Andrew. I want to give you that opportunity before we get into the craft elements. Um, honestly, I think I'll probably just start with kind of providing a little bit of that background in terms of the unit, kind of how it mm-hmm. was. There's other bits that they don't mention. I have had a chance to read the original book that, you know, brings in a lot more information. So like I said, this is the first time in a long time they'd been operating in a unit this large. They weren't normally driving the Humvees that they were. Even even the CEO um, referred to as, as Godfather um, mm-hmm. because of lung cancer and luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, he was actually, a, I guess prior to this command, he wasn't actually a, a combat commander, but a, the book only refers to a ceremonial unit. So he was relatively new to combat himself. Right. Mm. Boy, boy, does it show in some of the decision making that is at least portrayed in this. Yeah. Show. And maybe one thing I'll. Sorry. Never mind. Sorry. Just something came up on the screen. I had to laugh at it. And something that also is brought up a little bit here is there's a little bit of, you know, conflict in the background going on. Um, they're talking about chaos quite a bit, which is the name, uh, the call sign for uh, General James Mattis, who went on to be uh, Trump's first defense secretary. And um, the embrace of something called maneuver warfare mm-hmm. and the whole idea of maneuver warfare. And Mark, I had to think of the, the perfect analogy to explain this. It's maneuver warfare is the whole concept of being like Jersey Joe Walcott <laughs> and moving in such a way and moving so much and so often that you're disrupting the other guy's thought patterns. And you're basically have, being able to blow right through them without necessarily, you know, having to do some of the, the it- older levels of. Um, it makes uh, it makes my heart sing that you can go back to Pat and I's history of boxing podcast and rep, rep, reference it in what, two three years ago we were doing that and like <laughs> oh, I love that still, still remembered enough to be like to bring it forward and like use it as a metaphor for what we're talking <laughs> about now and I heart you Andrew <laughs> thank you very much but anyway I mean that and it's it's very aggressive it's very on the fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very unconventional in a lot of ways. And the Marine Corps is kind of interesting because, I mean, they may even make jokes in the series. The Marine Corps is America's little pit bull. You know, <laughs> they beat us, mistreat us, and let us, let us out to invade a country every so often. The Marine Corps is also possibly one of the more intellectual elements of the U.S. Armed Forces, where they're very involved in the thinking and the prosecution of warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, talking about a guy like Mattis, Mattis is kind of one of this entire generation of U.S. scholar generals who he's a bachelor. Apparently, every time he moves, he brings 9,000 books with him. Like a very, very smart guy and a very intellectual guy. So um, it's kind of the – there's a lot of push and pull in this series, and I think they do a good job of of kind of illustrating that. All right. Let's get into the craft elements of these shows and actually give Jesse a chance to weigh in here. Um, I want to tackle – some of the issues I have with this show first, and then we can talk the rest of the, the rest of the hour about the positives because there's more positive than there are negatives. But I, uh, I was th- you brought up Band of Brothers. I don't remember if I discussed it at the time, 
but I remember, I do remember thinking sometimes Band of Brothers was a little hard to follow. This is even worse um, in that respect because for the it's what seven episodes, and I think the first five, it's a lot of it's a lot of the same guys. Now look, I'm not sitting here thinking like, why are they all wearing the same costume? Like that's not what this is. <laughs> like, can we? Why not the hell are they wearing forest green <laughs> moth suits yeah. in the desert? <laughs> yeah, well that's a whole other thing. But it, you know, I understand you're 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 doing a show about a military invasion. You want accuracy people are gonna wear fatigues they're gonna have helmets on you know what happens when everyone wears the same thing in a helmet and most of them are white they all kind of look the same so half the time i don't even know who's talking <laughs> um they're in the desert and again you can't be like i couldn't shoot this in a nicer location no it's the fucking desert it's iraq it has to be where it is the problem is the first couple of episodes between a lot of actors looking alike, they're all dressed the same and they're all in the same location for the length and breadth of the first few episodes. It got a little hard to follow at times. Um, Jesse, I'll let you weigh in on this in just a second, but I maybe it's because I was half watching and, and half doing other stuff. Or I, don't know, I remember thinking the first episode, there was a lot. It was very dense. So you're dealing with a lot of same over and over and over again. Plus, you're dealing in almost an alien language. They're using jargon, as and and they and they give no fucks if you can follow along, which is great. You know, I. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you listening to this on audio, I'm currently holding up the basic training, uh, the basic training um, book that came with the the um, DVD set of right. Generation Kill, and it has a 16-page glossary in it. Yeah, and books are for burning. And I shouldn't have to do homework to follow your show. However, I, I, I do enjoy the accuracy of it. So, like, it's laden with jargon. It all looks the same. And I got, and it was just difficult to follow up until the very end of the show. There were certain elements of it that, it, that, that despite it being hard to follow, were so great that it didn't matter anymore. But I will say that's one of the great frustrations of this is not enough Jesse differentiation from scene to scene. To always keep my interest what did you okay well me personally i didn't have much of a problem following what was going mm -hmm. on um i was i will agree with you though there are a lot of characters and yeah i mean you have to try your best to remember the names with the faces but the good thing is is that the personalities really make you remember mm -hmm. who captain america is yeah. who Encino man is you're going to remember who these people are uh but i i could probably say that my wife is more in your boat there mark because mm -hmm. she watched this with me uh about half of it the other half i think she nodded off and slept <laughs> because <laughs> she probably was at uh, she got frustrated at sometimes trying to figure out she didn't make it very evident but she wasn't as interested and mm -hmm. shows like that that get confusing it's hard for her to even stay interested and stay awake um but myself yeah i didn't have much of a problem with that i think it was the personalities that helped me out and you stick with mostly the same four guys you're sticking with uh you're sticking with ray um you're sticking with Iceman. you're sticking with the reporter and um whopper jr as he comes to be known <laughs> um <laughs> but 
it's Rombly, yeah. Uh, you get to stick with these guys through most of it, and then you have to deal with all the outside elements. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, as far as enjoying what was going on and, and staying up on it, yeah, there's I didn't have much of a problem. What about you, Andrew? Um, any issue? Well, actually, before I go to you, Andrew, were there any issues that you did have with the show, Jesse, or did you think it was pretty much? Perfect? I mean, it was it was okay. I didn't really have. No, I, this wasn't something it was, it, you're right. It's such a stark contrast to what we had gotten before with yeah. uh, homicide and, and the wire it, it you could tell this is clearly based on somebody's book that we're going to a whole different setting here. And my impression was we are going to focus on the failures of war. That was my impression anyway, because mm -hmm. there seemed to be an awful lot of failure that happened in this uh, amongst just trying to get supplies, uh, you know, and the chaos yeah. that that ensued. And I thought it done that. It, it did that. You know, well. you know, the, the the acronym, I think it's like snafu situation, normal, all fucked up that they, uh, they, they use in the military all the time. So I was thinking about like the I'm going to get to you in a second, Andrew, but I was thinking about like the through line. What connects homicide to the the corner, to the wire, to generation kill? And everything else that we're going to talk about after and that is attention to detail the, the the singular david simon touch to everything is that no fucks given um that whether or not you are drawn into the minutia of any world david simon wants to take you to so whether it's the homicide unit in the baltimore police department or the corner uh, you know, the, or a generational drug corner and family mired in uh, trauma and abuse and substance abuse to everything we discussed on the wire to this. There's a level of meticulous detail that David Simon uh, puts in every one of his shows and jargon and language and aesthetic that I think is really unmatched by any one person putting out content in hollywood i think david simon fans far and away one of the best out there when it comes to truly introducing you to an alien world um with crisp vivid detail uh i want to go over to you andrew a lot's been said between jesse and i uh, with some of the issues here if you have you know agreement or disagreement but also what issues if any did you have with the show um i think i'll probably you know I had an easier time following it, but I think I think the show definitely fails sometimes when it breaks away from from the main unit of guys, which are all in, in Bravo Company. Uh, they all go by the the call sign Hitman, mm -hmm. and when they jump to some of the other units, I think that as much as there there are some great bits there, including probably one of the funniest parts ever mm -hmm. um, in the entire show, when they're basically trying to figure out what the hell Misha's saying to one of the other guys, and they're I I couldn't. You put it into my head. I could not tell you what the names of those guys were. All right. So it, it does definitely have a trouble when it, it gets a little too ensemble and you're breaking away a little bit too much from the main cast. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I would say, you know, again, I've researched the shit out of this. I have the, again, I have a map. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually have all the map things on the DVDs. So this is from, you know, the times of when DVD features were a thing because it's not all right. streaming, but it's like, I can definitely see someone going into this and saying, what the fuck is going on? Because there's no date Chirons. There's nothing. You're just going with it. And, and even this thing like takes place over a fairly compressed amount of time. Like I think the, the whole lapse time on the series is like three weeks. Mm -hmm. So I can, yeah. I can definitely see some of that 
some of those issues coming through. All right. So some positive things about the show. Uh, one, it's wonderfully acted. Oh, yeah. uh, James Ransone. I don't know if he was. I, I got to look and see if anyone was nominated for anything. But um, Alexander Skarsgård and Jane Ransone. First of all, what sexual chemistry between those two? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were. They lit up the screen, man. Anytime they're in the Humvee, whoo! Um, <laughs> such such manly action. Um, no, they're great. And James, I'll tell you what. Some of the personalities in this um, started to blend together for me and. You know, it's, you've seen one jarhead, you've seen them all, but a handful of guys stuck out. Alexander Skarsgård, obviously being the lead in this, he stuck out. Um, and Jane Ooh. Ransone, his James Ransone is amazing in this. Yeah, um, and Skarsgård could be related to Brad Colbert. Like could. I think I sent that around. And it's like the, mm -hmm. the degree of similarities, both physically and then also in kind of some of his delivery and things mm -hmm. like that, and his his general kind of presence. Are pretty similar if you've ever seen a, any videos of the actual uh, actual uh, Brad Colbert. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, I I think I enjoyed him more Jesse in this than I did as Ziggy in The Wire, and that just might be because I really hated the Ziggy character. He's uh, a big bag. He was too. But here, to have like the one soldier who's too smart to be soldiering, and and he's. He's he's happy enough to be there. You know, he knows his job. He obviously takes pride in what he's doing, but he's also smarter than the average soldier, and he has a perspective. And sometimes I think James Ransom might be speaking for the audience. Um, <laughs> in mean, some of these situations where they're where he's sort of sarcastically reflecting on the lack of supplies, the changes in orders, the stupid orders that are given. And he's sort of the Greek chorus to the whole thing. And he plays so well off of <laughs> he plays so well off of Alexander Skarsgard. And I don't want to get into the music yet because that's its own topic. But the the give and take and the the rapport that they have related to singing in the Humvee was some of the best stuff, Jesse, of of the show. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. There was a lot of fun uh just listening to Ray go off on his perspective of war and you know was what was it called uh hold on I have it here give me just a second it is called pussy warfare <laughs> yeah. In pussy infrastructure if i remember take, correctly take the republican guard call their asses in vegas for a weekend no war <laughs> perfect it's perfect but yeah listen you know he would he would just he was non-stop he was on the rip fuel you know yep. and he would mm -hmm. just continue to go and go and go and go and go but entertaining nonetheless um yeah I'll tell you one of my favorite one of my favorite actors in this is the guy who played Captain America, and because <laughs> Captain America, we all hate him, and you're supposed to because this guy is an idiot. But it, 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 he definitely made me think that this guy is insane. He is clearly bothered by either he's either bothered by the horrors of war this much, or he is enjoying it this much. You didn't know. Like right. I couldn't figure out if he was at one point he's burying the guns that he was using right. because he's so worried about what was going on. So I had, um, I, I, had had that... I had flashbacks to either. And I can't remember if it's full metal jacket or platoon, 
where you have the one Gatling gun or, or machine gunner in the helicopter, and he's just shooting civilians. Yeah, and, that was a uh, full metal jacket. Full metal jacket. Yeah, yep. and like, and I think like, the, oh, that's right. Matthew Modine and the other guy are like reporters, and like they are enlisted reporters, and they're in that chopper with him, and he's like, so he's like, only good Duke's a dead Duke, and he's just laughing as he's shooting fucking farmers, and I think one of them like vomits in the helicopter. Um, like I was Anything having moments like that. That was the guy they originally had cast to play uh, Gunnery Surgeon Hurtman. Oh, really? Oh, really? Huh. Hmm. huh. Um, what about you, Andrew? Sorry, just in terms of what we've been discussing, and like I said, like some of the best stuff here is the performances, there's oh, really yeah. good chemistry between some of these actors. Um, I really liked. And I'll add this, and then you can, and I'll flip it back to you. I can't remember the the character, or the actor, but he's the one. I, he stands out to me because the last couple episodes I saw, his bits were the most standout. Like some of the most standout dialogue in this, where he, you know, he's like, "So you look like a Mexican, you talk like a black oh, guy, but you hang, yeah, you hang around yep. all white people." And he's just like, yeah. If I hang around all Mexicans, I, I feel like you know we, we walk into a place that we're gonna hold, yeah. we're, we're gonna hold the place Garza up. Garza was great. So yeah. So Gar so I mean, it's kind of interesting. You know, again, I've had a chance to get into some of the biographies like, around these really, guys. He has this really sweet moment though with Lee Turgeson. It's great where he's just oh like, yeah. He's like, I have poetry. Would you like to read it? And it's it's that stuff. It's it's you're there as a reporter to see the humanization of a very inhuman thing. And they have to remember that these are still people. And they, my God, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't want to cut you off, but I, I got to get this out. That mailroom scene or, or mail call scene yep. where the, like one guy's got a letter from an attorney from his wife divorcing him. And like everyone's just like, we've been in the shit. We're invading a country. We're doing our job. We're standing up for America. And everyone in their lives is falling apart. Like that's tragic. That was the exact point where I realized that the mustache hair grooming standard yeah had a reason it was there for a reason that guy's purpose was to keep them focused on hating one thing at at a time and right. keep their morale up but but yeah man it is that that is so rough to watch these people have to deal with and they're so far mm -hmm. away and they can't do anything about it that's one of the horrors of war is that you're you're out in a strange land and you're so far away from what you know, mm -hmm. and you get this word from back home that all this shit is falling apart. That because nobody appreciates what you're doing. Exactly. exactly. Nobody, nobody is loyal. So I'm gonna nobody keep gets my, it. And I'm going to keep myself from projecting too much here, but there's no loyalty, no appreciation for loyalty, no appreciation for duty. Nothing. It's just, you know, I signed up, I went to war, I did my duty, and I came home, and no one gave a shit. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite spitting on you if you get home from Vietnam, but it might as well be. All right. We've now cut Andrew off 106 okay. times. Go ahead. Okay. Well, okay. So where am I going to start on this one? So I think, yeah, I mean, I think the the entire cast chemistry, the way the characters are developed and everything like that are, are all fantastic. Again, you know, I think this show doesn't work if you don't have great chemistry among the three or four primaries in the, yeah. uh, in the, in the main truck. Yeah, and you know, keeping with them was always really, really good and and really funny. James Ransom's so good, mm -hmm. and apparently, again, not too far off how Ray Pearson actually is. Because <laughs> okay. apparently, again, smart as a whip, and I like the way they kind of. And I, I watched it again, and it's like, you watch this character, and ninety percent of the time he's out there, he's talking shit. It's mm -hmm. like this guy's absolutely nuts. 
But then in some of the other scenes, it's like he's going into a detailed description of how cryptography works with Colbert. And it's like, this mm-hmm. is a guy who actually really knows his shit. He's very, very capable, but he's also just. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, you know, there's a scene of him jerking off. And he had to get his like, combat jack in, man. Yeah, his combat jack in. As, yep. as, as Jesse um, likes to talk about. <laughs> I mean, Colbert, Colbert's kind of an interesting character. Again, the, the similarities between his portrayal and, and the videos I've seen of him are, are pretty mm-hmm. remarkable, actually. And again, he was regarded as a, you know, one of those guys you want to have with you because he's like, he keeps his, you know, he keeps his shit together, stuff like that. But you also see, you know, he's got a good relationship with the guys in the truck. Him and him and uh, person have, you know, great chemistry together. You know, he even knows how to build a, you know, build a, a rapport with, you know, the reporter and stuff like that. Um, I always enjoyed having Garza around just because he he was always funny for that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, Garza is kind of an interesting gentleman unto himself because he was not a recon Marine. Um, basically, they needed another team lead. And Colbert apparently knew him from, from somewhere else in the Marines and actually said, you've got to come in here and, you know, I need you to help me out on this because mm-hmm. I need a guy I can trust. And so at, I think it's second to last episode, he comes up to him when they think they're all going home and he says, you know, you built some a good rep in the recon community over this. That was a, that was a really heartfelt and, mm-hmm. you know, really true kind of commendation of his friend. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think again, you know, it lives and dies on the relationships between all the characters in this show. And I mean, on some level, that's also how you go through these situations is living and dying on the relationships with the people you have around you. Right. We cannot, um, first of all, real quick, accolades um i'll stick with you know because fucking robert always gets into me about like i i you know i read stuff from the fucking <clears throat> you know the film society of venezuela um like just stick <laughs> with the main ones so it was nominated for primetime emmys uh, for outstanding miniseries outstanding direction and outstanding writing it was all nominated and won none um the primetime creative arts emmy it won for outstanding sound Yep. Uh, outstanding sound mixing and outstanding visual effects, which will lead into the next bit of our conversation. Television critics, it was nominated for an outstanding achievement in movies, miniseries, or specials. Um, as far as anything that it won, it won uh, a golden reel for best sound editing. Uh, it won an Artius Award for outstanding achievement in casting and the Gracie Award for jujitsu. No, um, for outstanding directing for Susanna White. But, um, I, we do have to talk about when we would be remiss if we didn't the special effects in this show. When you think about like even peak TV, you know, from The Wire to The Shield to The Sopranos to Dexter, um, to even like you know Game of Thrones and Rome sort of stand apart for their meticulous set design. But I would not say like, except for a little bit of Game of Thrones, there was a tremendous amount of special effects going on. Not not at least from episode to episode. There might be like one where you have the you know the, the the ice zombies or whatever but for the most part it's a lot of talking in really intricate sets here this stands far and away apart from almost anything going on in television in 2008 in in terms of being able to show you i mean this is the sort of thing where you have to go to the theater you know and go see jarhead or the hurt locker or black hawk down to see outstanding special effects and realistic warfare portrayed on screen they did this on television. And when you think about some of the firefights that are on, that are in this show, 
I mean, yeah, there's a lot of talking and definitely way too much discussion of mustache um, grooming. But when they finally get to, to, to fussing and fighting, like you, I watched the war. It looked like that. You know, it looked <clears throat> like the idea of like crossfire and everything when they're on that bridge. There's a lot going on in this show. And credit where credit is due. I mean, David Simon up to this point just had people talking on a Baltimore street or in, or in a or in a police station. And now he's got to ha- you know work with his cinematographer and his special effects people to create a realistic combat situation. Bravo. This looks amazing, Andrew. Oh yeah, it, it, I mean for the time it looked really great and I actually just came across a quick I mean and, for, you know, I think for, they, for that time but also for television. I got to Oh yeah, for television out. for sure. And I mean, I think, you know, this was a lot of it was, I think, you know, selective and, and good use of, 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 you know, setting up your shots, you know, doing your cuts back and forth and things like that. Um, and I don't, the thing is, I don't think this show was actually put together with the, you know, this wasn't one of those shows that had like the, the aid of the U.S. military, mm-hmm. because I guess part of what they ended up, do, I think they shot this all in South Africa, but what they ended up having to do was, um, there's a number of scenes where they have, uh lavs or or strikers which are a, a light armored vehicle and um they're all cg in the show what ended up happening was they had actually kind of built ones on truck chassis out of wood and painted them originally and hey, the, real quick um, yes it was shot in mozambique nambia um and south africa and by the way this had not a quite marvel budget this was a 56 million dollar show oh this, wow this was a movie yeah, it's a seven-hour movie. I was about to say they got their money's worth out of this one, but anyway, yeah, so they put together these Humvees, and then um, actually one of the so one of the Marines from uh, who's actually featured in the show, uh, Eric Coker, he was Captain America's kind of team leader, um, and he's the one that that tells him you shoot another AK without calling it, and I'll fuck you up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he was actually the military advisor on this, and he was actually in the show for a few scenes. He was the the gunnery sergeant for for uh, a company. But he looked at those things. He said, that looks like shit. And they went back and spent like $250,000 replacing them all with CG. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, it looks really good. And I mean, I'd say on some level, I don't know, even know if it's the visual effects, but it's like the set dressing, the, you know, the production design, the details in the Humvees, you know, the fact that some of these guys hand painted them themselves, the, you know, I'm looking at scenes and where they've just got random debris on the road. Like, I mean, yeah. It's well beyond visual effects, but it's the entire set dressing. It's the entire production design. It's everything that really pulls you into. And, and I'm sure there's people who will say this wrongs that that's wrong. This is wrong. But Mark, like you said, it pulls you into this alien world. Mm-hmm. At no point was I taken out of this thinking to myself, oh, this is being filmed somewhere else. You know, they, it, this everything seemed genuine. to Yeah, me. I was not getting you and McGregor running into a green box. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> they did a good job. Yes. No. No janky CGI here. Um, what? It, uh, what else, Jesse? What else is on your mind in terms of what works for you in the show? Oh, I, I've got a list. I mean, I've got a list of a few. I, I did like sometimes trying to decipher some of the military jargon and especially some of like the weird customs that happened. Uh, Sorry, I will be saying for the next few weeks, unfuck yourself because of the show. <laughs> I still use Oscar Mike on a regular basis. Do you? Oscar, Oscar Mike. Mike. I was driving around with my girlfriend the other day, and I told her, "Okay, take take the exit forty Alpha," 
and she looks at me like, "What are you in the fucking military?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so other side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, another part of my personal biography. I was in the Royal Canadian Air Cadets for five years, mm -hmm. and part of that time, I learned uh, proper aviation phonetics. So, mm -hmm. Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, so on and so forth. To this day, I still use perfect phonetic whenever I'm I'm trying to like if I have to call somebody or like give <laughs> some random serial number, mm -hmm. then I will jump in with that. And for nines, I will use niner. Niner? Oh, nice. Yeah. So nice. yeah. How so I actually got a little a education on, on proper radio procedure and things like that. So I'm a nowhere near the the level of professional military. But I think just enough to be dangerous is probably the best way to say it. <laughs> when you do that around the house, how often does your wife have to resist the urge to punch you right in the dick? She's pretty used to it at this point. <laughs> <Okay>. she, <laughs> she she has picked up some of the idioms I use and use them at work. Mm -hmm. There's one they don't use it in this show, but there's an idiom called you know when you're trying to get something done and and be efficient and coordinated. You know the the phrase that is used is shoot, move, and communicate. Right. She's actually used that at work. <laughs> To which she used that to somebody else who I think was in the American military, and like, how the hell do you know that phrase? <laughs> all right, Jesse, we jumped all over you there. Go ahead. Oh no, you're fine. So uh, we talked a lot about intelligence in the military, and one of the things that I noticed here was it seemed like if you were an intelligent person and you were trying to make the intelligent decision, of course you had to you had to follow orders. And what we see here a lot, at, at least what I got from Lieutenant, was it Lieutenant Fick? Fick, who yeah. Who was having, you know, he was one of the smartest people in this show, in my opinion. He was one of the smartest ones who would be like, okay, why are we doing this again? Why are you calling in, uh, you know, this, why are you calling in this airstrike that's going to be within 200 meters of us? You know, what? what is, what, why are you doing this? And at one point he even decides that he's not going to send his uh, men into the streets uh, in order to like advance in some way because he's concerned about his men. But what I noticed is, you know, if you're a smart man, if you got a stupid person above you, your decisions are never going to matter. You're going to suffer for making the right decision. I was going to say, and, that this working, that's the modern workplace, though, is that you have people in levels of management and command that are making decisions, and then you have us lay people going, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> how many <laughs> how many assholes we got on this ship? Yo. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. You just you just feel for uh for Lieutenant Fick and and mm -hmm. him trying to make these decisions. But yeah, you know what that's the interesting dichotomy of the military. The military mm -hmm. just wants they want people that have no conscience and will just do their bidding, but you have to have the smart people in the right places in order to make this stuff work. But unfortunately, those smart people are going to start to realize that what the hell are we doing here? Why are we at, why are we fighting this war? What is the point? And that is one thing that, I mean, as we get closer to the end of the episodes that Fick is Fick and Iceman are just sitting there looking at, what what have they done what is the goal have we achieved anything mm -hmm. i mean it, they soon become like uh instead of being a strike team or you know these guys are helping is that is that the main job it didn't seem like that was the main job of like helping fix what was destroyed well, because I think, they're going, yeah, yeah i mean that uh, that realistically i think we learned from nam and we learned from korea um, <clears throat> that if you, 
you know, the, the phrase hearts and minds was bandied about during this time. We have to win the hearts and minds of people. And, and look, Jesse, you know, you're only as good as your CI. You don't have the people on the ground helping you. You can only, you know, it, you only kill so many people. And at some point, you have to ask yourself what it is. We were never going to be, we were never going to like make Iraq the 51st state. Mm-hmm. It was always going to be knock out the leadership, rebuild the bridges and the roads, put a government in place, walk the fuck away. It was never I, for a lot of the cynicism and there's people going, oh, they just went over there to get that oil and all the other arguments I heard at the time and sometimes here to this day. We were never going to be there to stay. At which point then you have to ask yourself, how exactly are we supposed to fight this war when the object of war is to destroy the lines of communication, destroy the lines of distribution, uh, conquer the people, break their backs. And then once they're, you know, once you've turned this entire country to dust, then you rebuild, but you rebuild in your image. That's how Rome worked. Um, and you know, until it fell and we had the dark ages, but I, I digress, you know, the, the, the age of modern warfare was never fully, never fully committing to conquering your enemy and soldiers feel that shit. Because you're you're taught to conquer the enemy, and then you go there and you're like, well, that's not really what we're here for, though. Right. And then you yeah. so so now you're back to hearts and minds. Like we have to win the people over so they'll fight for themselves, and we're just here to help them. And as a soldier who's taught, as you're saying, as a soldier who's taught to kill without conscience, you're like feeling like the mis- the messages, Andrew, are a little mixed here. Yeah. Um. So th- there's a couple of things here, and I'm definitely gonna pick on a couple, of, and maybe I'll start with that last line. You know, I think one of the things that I do enjoy about this show and, 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 you know, maybe we'll get into this a little bit more is that I think, you know, the phrase kill without a conscience, I think is probably a little overused when it comes to the military, because mm-hmm. I think these guys have a lot of conversations around what's the best way to stop this without killing somebody we don't need to. Sure. Like they're like Colbert really takes it and it really affects them when, you know, they see civilians hit and it's like. No, we're supposed to be precise. We're supposed to be scalpels. Right. We're we're better than. Yeah, we're not dropping so, Moab everywhere. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, I think part of what this gets into is a little bit of kind of that that high level context. So, here's some quick analysis from me. I am I am not in, <laughs> intimately familiar with all the details, but and now military going... expert Andrew Graham. <laughs> Quick, change his name down there. No, don't do that. <laughs> okay, so, so I think bottom line, kind of here's what ended up happening with Iraq. So governments have plans to do everything. And I mean absolutely everything. I think until the 1980s, there was a plan for the United States to invade Canada. Sure. But this included the fact that within the United States government, there were, there were plans to do things like invade Iraq. And all of the different departments get things that they're good at. The State Department put up a whole plan of when we invaded Iraq, here's how we're going to do, here's how we're going to deal with the police, here's how we're going to deal with power, infrastructure, food, governance, things like that. And when they started getting ready for this, and this is, this is pretty well known at this point, basically the Defense Department said, throw that shit out of there. We're going <laughs> to do it our way. And, and this is a, a failing of both probably... Um, the initial invasion of Afghanistan and the initial invasion of Iraq is right. that they Wolfowitz. went in there with a Wolfowitz was the guy I couldn't remember earlier, but Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld and Wolfowitz and Wolfowitz, um, yes, yeah, Wolfowitz, 
you got to remember, <clears throat> I remember reading a lot of this at the time. It was in the Woodward book. It was in a bunch of other books. They were real excited about the military in the year in the year of our Lord, 2002, 2003. Yep. They were like super excited about it. And they and boy, do they want to invade somebody just to yep. show they could and how fast they could do it. You're, you're yeah, right. exactly. And, and that was the problem is, you know, <clears throat> and with a light footprint. So, right. like, you know, the 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 size of the forces in both of these were relatively small relative to, to what they achieved. Like, I mean, you know, I think it was maybe a quarter million guys took over, a, you know, a country of 30 million people in three weeks. Right. But the problem is when you're invade on that kind of light footprint, you don't you've got all those those spearhead soldiers. And that's great. But you don't necessarily have then the troops to come come behind and do stuff like blow up arms stockpiles, start distributing civilian aid, start distributing that. And because they didn't have any plans for how they were going to govern, I mean, you know, this, one of the things that, you know, if you, if you pay attention, you start to see the seeds of what would end up being the insurgency and then end up sure. in the insurgency that turns into ISIS. There was this, essentially it was, we're going to invade this country, we're not going to hold it, and then we're going to have an election. Okay, you, those are steps one, seven, and 20. Yeah, you just and, and the other thing I'll add on to here, if you guys ever get a chance, go read the, um, uh, what is it, Enchanted Life in the Emerald City, which got kind of made into a movie called The Green Zone, but it has nothing to do with it. And they were talking about what was going on in, in the main kind of American Green Zone and, and how policies were being done. And the thing was that Iraq at the time was what you would call like a true socialist government. The government owned everything. Every private industry, everything was owned by the Iraqi government. They basically powered the entire economy and were already failing at it. And when the Americans came in, they decided to get a whole bunch of young bucks whose parents had put in a lot of money to George Bush's campaigns and had all these great ideas where it's like, we're going to turn this country into a free market capitalist system in six months. And it's like, you, you cannot cannot do that undo you know it, 40 it, years it, of rule in that way not yeah, to wow. mention you have saudi arabia this you know religious dictate on our left and then you have iran who you know some might say we didn't get along with um <laughs> on the right we have kuwait and we have uh dubai to the south and like syria i think if i've got my geography right to the north yeah i mean kind of north and yeah no, like no good neighbors. <laughs> like, well, and not it, a and single one. Kind of gets weird, and I mean, I, I'm gonna try and keep this as short as I can. I promise, yeah. guys. We're we're probably losing listeners right now, but it's like weird when you get into the relationships because, like, on some level, since this has happened, Iraq's kind of turned into a tug of war and a cold war between the Saudis and the Iranians who don't right. like each other very much. Yeah, essentially, then, uh, Iraq turned into Vietnam, essentially. In some ways, yeah. And I mean, like, you know, when you look at Syria, Syria's government is a Ba'athist government. Right. Because what ended up happening was, like, in the 1950s, when all these countries started to have their their colonial rulers, like Britain and France and whomever, leave, they mm -hmm. all went for these kind of relatively socialist, nominally sectarian governments. And so, like, Iraq got that kind of government, Syria got that kind of government, a few others did, and, and, it, and it's kind of... It's very complex, and I don't think anyone quite appreciated the complexity of what they were getting into. See, if we had just let the British keep their empire, none of this would have ever have happened. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got we got to get back to talking about the show. 
Um, was there anything else related to, because I'm going to close out the discussion with talking about the music. So was there anything real quick, Andrew, on your wish list of things to talk about? Um, and I mean, I think that's kind of, that almost kind of, you know, gets into what I, I was talking about is, I was re-watching this show the way that we tend to, and we try and look for the thesis in it. Yeah. And the interesting part is, is that I couldn't find one single solid thesis, but man, does it cover a lot of ground. Because again, we talk about, you know, you talk about, you look at Fick and you look at Encino Man and you look at Captain America and you look at Fernando and there's this entire conversation about what the nature and theory of leadership is. All right. How yeah. do these guys, you know, going back to Brandon, Brother, Brandon Brothers and it's like Winters and, and Sobel and, you know, what, how do these guys all manage their guys? Their guys, you know, you're talking about trauma on some level, the relationship between the soldiers, uh, you know, nature of masculinity. Like there's a lot of stuff you can, mm -hmm. you can unpack there. I mean, uh, did you guys get a chance to listen to the kind of the after credits on the second to last episode? No, I didn't. No. Okay, go back and go back and do that because what is it? It's a conversation between um, Scribe and uh, the reporter and a bunch of the other Marines, and he's like, "Okay, what the fuck am I supposed to make of all this shit you guys are constantly talking?" Because like these guys are brutal to each other all the right, time. And right. There's, but there's, you know. Robert and, I, Robert and I got into this whole conversation about masculinity and the way men talk to each other. I mean, look, let's just let's just give a small anecdotal example of this. Me and Chris Bailey. I love that guy to death. Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey? Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. <laughs> um, the very same. I love him to death. How much shit do we give each other in the group chat? Oh, lots. And like, we don't hold, like, how many times have I told him to go fuck himself? Yeah, referred to him as fuckface, you know, and and he and he purposely stirs up shit in the chat and like and he and he you know pinches my nipples and I'm like and I'm right there with him, like Robert Winfrey and I have discussed the fact that you know the, the whole like phrase locker room chat got really sullied when Trump sort of threw it out there as a cover for his misogyny. It's but like, there, I've never been in a locker room where you talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there is a level of when when men talk to men or you know boys talk to boys. We're not girls. We don't. We we give each other shit. You know, we're constantly jostling and pinching at each other, and you know, and it's yep. always and it's like it's like bu um bucking rams. You know, we're yep. just bashing our heads together just because it's fun to do that. And, and that's what they and and that's yeah. what they get into where it's like. It's mm -hmm. testing each other. It's pushing right. each other. It's making right. sure, are you hard enough to do this? Like, you know, you probe to find the weakness and then you seal that weakness up and, mm. and things along that line. Uh, on that topic, I am going to say, I'm really looking forward to whenever they do Eternals too. <laughs> poke, poke, twin, twins. Mm, no, mm, I, mm. But I'll tell you, because of sort of the, the hyper vigilance and sort of assault on traditional masculinity that goes on in the national conversation currently and certainly on Twitter, there's not a lot of tolerance for this sort of thing. And it's like you watch a show like, so I remember talking to Sean last year about the movie Christine. And I was like, Jesus Christ, it's been so long since I've heard anyone in the movie call anyone else a fag, you know, as a, as a jibe at their lack of masculinity. Um, and I kind of said to him at the time, I was like, I, I, I missed when you could just write that way. You know, I wish I, I miss the ability to write the way people talk and not the way people wished people talked, which is what you get a lot of now is you can't say that you can't say, you know, a lot of 
a lot of you know that Orwellian thought and language police that goes on because and in some cases rightly so if i'm being fair we you know we we, we would like to evolve as a culture and we don't yeah. want to see people talking negatively to each other but by the same token we're still doing it and some of us are clinging to it rather rather tightly and then so you go to generate related to generation kill you have these guys that are very openly slurring each other and you know and talking shit and it's all in the service of we must now run into hail you know hailings of bullet fire we you know we yeah. must run into we must run into the enemy head first maybe being called a fag is not the worst thing ever yeah you know? And, you know it's kind of funny there's a there's a scene we haven't had a chance to talk about it because of circumstances but there's actually a funny scene that kind of turns that on its head a little bit with um mm. in um uh the outpost <laughs> yeah where there's some and, and again this is that difference between again when we're talking about kind of cultures within cultures so mm-hmm. you know guys who are in a really elite unit versus the guys who are just kind of thrown together and it's like, mm-hmm. guys, we're a band of brothers. And it's like, it is such just the worst moto shit that you have ever heard. And then he's like, <laughs> well, this guy can call me a whiskey tango. And I can call him an N-bomb. And he's like, what the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> right. And right. I think it was a higher rank. So it's like, it's like he looked like he was about to fuck him up. And I would not blame him for that. <laughs> yeah, there's, I, I, I look at it as like, you know, them picking on each other is a release plus it's a way of uh of establishing camaraderie and yep. figuring out who you know who is the weakest of the bunch it all boils i mean there's a couple moments in this series where you know at the end and i know we're going to talk about the music here in a second and i don't know if you guys want to talk about the end but i think the the ending scene definitely is very poignant um, and maybe we'll save that till after we talk about yeah. the music, but I do want to talk about the football game. You know, yeah. that's another example of what you guys are talking about, where they found out that things are, you know, they, they've, they've pretty much won. Um, but they all go out for a football game and things just boil over. Yep. And yeah. I mean, what do you think is happening there? I, I, I want to get your opinion. Oh, Andrew, I know you got an happening. idea. No, okay, no, I, know, I know what's happening. Those guys have had to be zipped up and in control and precise for three solid weeks and finally so it used to be you'd, you'd go into the military you would do your job and for release you'd get you know your r&r you would go fuck the locals you know you'd go get <laughs> you'd get drunk you just go fuck the locals you know you, in all seriousness you you take your your money and you'd go buy you know prostitutes and drink and you'd let your hair down you know like andrew graham does you let his hair down and you go and you go for a night on the town um, and that's how you got your release. There's no liquor in Iraq. There's actually, no... the U.S. military is dry. Yeah, there's no liquor. I, I remember this from Jarhead, actually, where it was just like there will be no alcohol during this entire thing. And so you have Jake Gyllenhaal with a, you know, with a fucking Santa cap on and a sock on his cock. And, you know, and fucking poor uh, Jamie Foxx has to walk into the middle like, knock it off. We're all bored here, <laughs> you know that that sort of thing. Like my favorite scene in Jarhead, go fig. Um, but like that idea of like, there's no way to release the tension. There's no prostitute. There's no sex. There's no alcohol. There's no drugs. There's nothing. There's just that, more violence. 
There's, right, you know, the, James Ransone when he's got like the fucking drugs in his hand, and you see, like, you didn't see it on camera, but I could feel the hard on he had, and <laughs> it's like put it down, and then zip, and the down, and his penis just falls right off. It's a terrible thing. Um, but my point is, like, psychologically, if you don't have that release after, like, think about this, Jesse, little Jesse, you go to your your relative's house for a holiday, let it be Easter or Christmas or something, and you know you have to be on your best behavior. This is only a couple of fucking hours, but by the end of it, you know you want to come home and punch the wall. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you're just like, I'm fucking done. Right. You know, but that, that was only after a few hours. You know, Andrew Graham, he, you know, he takes his children, he puts them in the car, he's his wife, he drives to the relative's house after a few hours of that. He comes home, slams his dick right in the door because, like, you just you just can't take it anymore. Like, after a few hours of dealing with Aunt Tilly and Grandma, you're just like, fuck this place. You know, yeah, and I, got, I got the home gym right beside me here. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. Just off well, screen. <laughs> well, when you don't have that, and everything now now it's just the tension erupting out of you yep. yeah like you you're you, people and all you have is like you said like you said andrew more violence you just guys are just fucking hitting yep. each other what else is left there to do they, you know, they can't fuck and they can't drink and they can't do drugs and they can't slam their dick in the door what else you and got there's, and there's ways they you know you know there's there's ways that they can't you know like resolve some of the tensions and stuff like mm -hmm. that and i mean I'm I'm less sure on on I'd have to go back and read the books to see if there was anything on it, but I'm less sure on what happened between Person and Rudy, mm -mm. because on the flip like that that you know it goes for a second and and you know it's it's Pearson having a bit of a a meltdown there after I think he's maybe a little bit in withdrawal for no longer being on the red fuel, but on the flip side like yeah him and him and Rudy have a fight, but afterwards I think Rudy's actually kind of hurt over the whole thing because if, if you see him grabbed and walking away you can actually hear rudy calling after him mm -hmm. right. like bro what happened and stuff like right, that and yeah. by the way you guys know that's the actual rudy reyes right i know oh, I no know, yeah. no that was wow. actually him no kidding so, so um just i mean the thing between maybe i'll jump in but it's like yeah. the thing between captain patterson and encino man was probably a little more pointed especially after probably patterson found out about encino man giving that order to Go do something stupid like you know, let those guys sweep a fucking minefield at right. night. Right, Jesus Christ! And that one I get because you know you get a little bit of Captain Patterson played by Michael Kelly. I remember him quite a bit from uh, from uh, House of Cards with He Who Shall Not Be Named. But I mean, like he comes again. He's the one who comes off. It's like wow, that is the kind of officer you'd want to serve under because it's like mm -hmm. he's smart, he's reasonable, he's professional, he's prepared. You know, that's the kind of guy you want to have be your CEO. Right. All right. Um, just because we're, we're a little over an hour here. The music in this thing is probably like its own character. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah. doing some, I was doing some research on this because, first of all, my wife is the one that, that turned me on to Weedis's Teenage Dirtbag. Um, big, big hit around our house. I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Listen to source material, baby. <laughs> Those are good words. Great lyrics. Yes. Um, so times I feel I need to get away. I want to get away. <laughs> oh, we got some leg going here, Mark. We're at a sink. <laughs> <laughs> um, so almost the entire soundtrack is done a cappella in the fucking tanks. Yep. Um, or in the Humvees or whatever. 
and uh, when no they country in Western in this Humvee, Matt no. is right. <laughs> well, there's a great bit about that where he starts, I think, singing like on the road again or something like that. It was like, that is not a that is not no, a don't a, let your babies grow up to be cowboys, right? Because it's a cowboy oh, song, not, 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 not a cowboy, a it's a song. cowboy song, <laughs> right? I just I gotta talk about the teenage derp, I think, for a second because I, I, I recorded that, I just like filmed my television and I put it on TikTok and I'm because I'm dying laughing at this because it was so perfect the way that it was done. If like anatomy of a scene right he's just like as we all would do where you're just kind of in the car you're just like listen to iron maiden baby and then jesse comes in you know and it's like and then suddenly you have a full chorus full full-bodied chorus that you could hear outside of the Humvee, and it's you know, and the cameras pan like what cinematography in this? The cameras panning around yeah. and everything, and you you know, not since the Mandy car chase and too old to die young have I appreciated <laughs> the music in a scene and how it set the tone for everything. It's marvelous. And, and okay, so I, I had to ask because contemporary to this, one of my friends mm-hmm. was a member of a armored reconnaissance regiment in the Canadian Armed Forces, mm-hmm. and I had to ask him. So how accurate is the singing? And he's like, "Yeah, it's accurate." <laughs> because I mean, I think I think that's one of the things that that this series also gets is that war, on some extent, is fucking boring. Yeah, it's it's hours of undying boredom followed by you know moments of sheer terror. Right, right. It's a I lot mean, of there was a... if you think about all the great war movies that we're going to talk about next Thursday on the Whiskey Rebellion. How much of those scenes is guys just sitting around waiting to do something? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like. There's another podcast I listened to called Cleared Hot with uh, Andy Stump, and he was uh, he was a Navy SEAL, and mm-hmm. he said war movies would be boring if they ever actually showed what it was. <laughs> if I can write to count the number of hours I spent working on a PowerPoint slide trying to get the arrow to face in the right direction, you would <laughs> think I'm crazy. <laughs> Accurate. And this was a guy who was a SEAL. <laughs> what did you, you think of all the singing, Jesse? Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. That was one of the things I, I first mentioned in our chat. It was like mm-hmm. I, they saved so much money on this soundtrack by having the actors sing the songs, which is great. Look, um, God, listen to some of these fucking songs here. Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne, Loving You. Loving yep. You is easy because Andrew Grant is beautiful. La, 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 la. I didn't expect Andrew Graham to start singing with you tonight. I just oh, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I absolutely knew that was going to happen. Um, oh, it. Mark's going to finally break me, and I'm going to start singing on this <laughs> podcast tonight. <laughs> there was, there was um, Boys in the Hood, because Jesse knows this one. Woke up late at about noon. That's a good one. Be in Compton soon. Gotta get drunk before the day begins. Come on, I'd Jesse. Like to point out right I... now, Amazon Music, you're missing a hell of a plug if you're still sponsored. Oh, yeah. Show. Let's right. talk to our ad sales guy. Anyway, um, we got, oh, Jesse, you know, my favorite, because oh, I'm going to go to St. Louis and try to find him. But until then, Nelly's going to tell you that it's getting hot and oh, hot. Yes. Just yes, take off all your clothes. I am. Yeah. Is there a J Lo <laughs> song on there? There should have been. Right? No, I was going dead. To... Oh, that's right, J Lo. Uh, it was a good day. The aforementioned tainted love. Oh my God! The other really fun sing along in this is "What Are We Fighting For?" Uh, but, <laughs> that's so good. 
by uh, Country Joe and the Fish. Um, the aforementioned Teenage Dirtbag. On the road again, my, uh, my Sharia Moore. Gangsta Gangsta. Jesse knows that one. Let me ride. Fuck the police. Can I mm. kick it? Jesse, can I uh, kick yeah. it? Yeah. Now, see, yes, you can. That was, oh, that was yeah. I think, episode six or seven there when right. I started singing that one. It was a good one. So fresh and so clean. Um, come, come sail away. That was another good sing along. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the only one not sung out loud by the soldiers is when the man comes around. Right. All right. Um, last licks. And then, and last licks. And then we're going to get out of here. But before we do, we have to do our. This is becoming a thing now, Jesse. Every every episode that we do from the corner oh, to the boy. deuce, we have to do oh, quotes. Boy. I already put oh, it. Boy. I put it in the. I put it in our little group chat thing. So pull it up. Pull I've up. got it. I'm sitting here, and it's massive. So you better figure out what the <laughs> hell you want to. Which ones you want to do here? Every single one of them. Until it we're is, done. Yeah, this is a ridiculously we're show. done, Charles. All right, so Jesse, last licks got any? Uh, you know, I want to get your guys' opinion here of the final scene. Um, as they're sitting around watching this documentary and you see the mood of these guys being so jubilant until everybody just kind of walks away and it's all very somber. But uh, Andrew, let me hear what you thought of that final scene as we end the show. That one was interesting. I mean, I think it's definitely kind of that, you know, that farewell to everybody. I mean, it's even kind of funny that like, you know, Brad, the guy you spend the most time with is, is the one who walks away first. And I guess I'm not entirely sure what that scene was trying to tell us. It was kind of. I think it's a it's a very David Simon end of the wire kind of a thing. Okay. At the, at the end of season five of the wire, they made a point of saying, "The case may be over, but life goes on." Yeah. The the invasion may be over, but everyone's got to go back to their lives. Like this, life goes on after it's all said and done. That was my takeaway. Yep. And I mean, I think it was kind of interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if, if looking at that, if they were interspersing some of, because I'm assuming at this point that that camera actually came along with the actual first recon, and some of that might actually be of actual first recon Marines during the invasion. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of hard to say because it's almost just this little last set of character moments on on everyone walking off, and then Tremblay being the you know the last one and grabbing his saw and walking away, and and it's. I mean, maybe it's just a stylistic flourish I'm not used to, but I just wasn't quite... And it's awesome because of the song, because, you know, Johnny late-stage Johnny Cash, but I just wasn't quite sure what, what it was saying. Okay. I'm, I'm going to rest back on, if you watch enough David Simon, you sort of see this sort of thing of... But I think it's also related to the idea of the soldier mentality of, we are here to do a job. We, we The job may be invading, but we are not an invading force. We are We are professional soldiers tasked with a glorious burden as it were and now it's over we're done it's time to go home we have wives to go back to girlfriends boyfriends children jobs society we have a whole life ahead of us to, to continue to live and we have to do so now with, you know with the glorious burden of what we've accomplished here and i think that's that you know you talked about through lines andrew and i think one of the things that david simon wanted to tell with this story was that Nothing is as black and white. Nothing is as super is, is particularly uncomplicated about this. It's all complicated. Okay. The invasion itself was complicated. It had it had many sides to examine. It was very easy for people at the time to be hypercritical of Bush and the Iraq War. Um, war is bad, duh. Um, but war is chaos. 
But even no like how much you try and order it, there's always a level of chaos and a level right. of unintended suffering that you get out of it. But even the intel at the time, like it's not like they lied entirely about their belief that there were weapons of mass destruction there. They believed it was there up until the point that that you know, and you know you can make the argument that um, they were looking for any excuse to invade Iraq, any at all. And I said that at the top of the podcast, you know, Don Rumsfeld was like, there's no good targets in Afghanistan. There's great ones in Iraq. And we, we Saddam Hussein has no use to us anymore. Let's go get him before he does something that we're all going to regret. Which in and of itself, there's arguments for and, and against where Don Rumsfeld was coming from. But we're so quick to want to either put people on a pedestal as our heroes or tear them down as the devils. And I think what David Simon says is it's probably somewhere in the middle and maybe the middle needs some greater examination because I think too often in the national conversation, it's met, it's, it's, you know, it's Islanders, Rangers, you know, it's one side, other side, and we're all just attacking each other. And I say this all the time throughout these many podcasts that we've done on this network over the years that I, one of the most frustrating things about the, about the conversation, the public conversation, the national conversation is this idea of. There has to be a right and there has to be a wrong and there can't just be an exchange of ideas. And I think David Simon, if you're looking for, if you're looking for a thread from homicide to regeneration kill all the way to we own this city is that there's a lot of gray to examine and a lot to talk about if we would only be patient with each other and do that instead of being like you're a man and wife in a marriage and one of you has to be right and one of you has to be wrong and there's no discussion in the middle. Sorry, I'm projecting again. again. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. I'll let you guys kind of bat that around for a second. Uh, I mean, oh, go sorry, ahead, Jesse. No, go ahead, sir. I was going to say, that was probably a question I wanted to ask you guys and Mark. I think you just answered it is knowing what I know of kind of the David Simon canon and what mm -hmm. he generally deals with. This is definitely outside of that. So I was kind of yeah. interested to see kind of how you guys thought this fit within that canon. I think I just answered that, but Jesse, what do you think? No, no exactly. That's what. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it, uh, I it, it'd be tough to say. I mean, my goodness, I, I, I feel like as we get to the end of this, as we get to the end of this series, I re I'm reminded of McNulty in the courtroom at the end of season one of The Wire, which the is fuck that I do. Uh, what the as they're watching the film and they're so jubilant at the beginning it's uh you know him them realizing like well shit you know what what did we do what what the fuck did we do here and what what's to come but you know fitting that in with the, i could see that being you know a definite david simon staple if that was the david simon looks at a situation or a book or something and goes okay the question asked of, about this particular topic is what the fuck did we do <laughs> and this show, this show will answer that question for us. That's the truth. That's there, the truth line. There are plenty of people throughout this whole series that was asking, what the fuck are we doing? Where, where the fuck is this? What the fuck is going on? Because there's so much confusion. Right. Um, and then at the end of things, you think that you know what you're doing. And when in fact you realize you don't. Uh, so yeah, that's. Uh, All right, Jesse, there you it's go. time. Yeah, let's oh let's boy. play. Are you gonna play with us? We play oh with boy, we're gonna play quotes. So Jesse, you start it. I go, and then if there's a third part, Andrew, hit it. 
We are on IMDb, ladies and gentlemen, and we are reading Generation Kill quotes. Corporal Gabe Garza says, hey, there's kids holding hands. Oh, cute. Don't shoot him, Garza. <laughs> uh, Corporal Ray Purse, Josh Ray Person, Lieutenant, have you got any word? I only get what's passed on to me from Godfather, and the only word is he gets from the BBC. If we're lucky, Saddam will back down. Let the inspectors in and we can go home. The important thing is we're doing our jobs by being here. All of you should be proud. <laughs> Sir, that's not the word I was asking about. I, 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 we wanted to know if you knew anything about J-Lo being killed. <laughs> Ray, the battalion commander offered no sit rep as to J-Lo's status. Sergeant <laughs> uh... Brad, Iceman Colbert. Thank you. Vote Republican. <laughs> That was great. Oh, man. Uh, Ray, Corporal Josh Ray person. Look, Brad, I'm a man just like you, only I don't look like a... Oh, man. You want me to do this one? <laughs> yes, please do this one, Mark. Got you it. have no problem doing this I one, have apparently. no problem. Uh, look, Brad, I'm a man just like you, only I don't look like a faggot and speak all educated. Oh, my god. Thank gosh. you for letting me read that one. That made me yeah. so happy. Yes. <laughs> all I, right. I got this one. Yep. Colbert, gentlemen, we just seized an airfield. That was pretty fucking ninja. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep going, Andrew. All right. Colbert, again, once more into that great good night. Cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. Mm, great quote. Uh, boy, oh boy, am I getting into something here? Je okay, Corporal Jeffrey Dirty Earl Carasales. To think I believed the judge when he told me the Marine Corps was a superior, superior alternative to jail. I should have shut up and just done my time. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, it looks like we finally have uh, a three-part play here. Who wants to take which side? I'll, I'll describe. Uh, I'll take person. Uh, okay. All right. Speaking of which, one of you guys still has my girlfriend's picture. <laughs> Dude, I hate to tell you this, but your girlfriend's kind of a whore. What? <laughs> yeah. Last time I saw her, she was doing all of H&S Company. She doesn't deserve you, man. <laughs> that poor guy's picture of his right. girlfriend. Uh, I'm doing I, I gotta take. Can I take this one? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. When my band opened up, oh, sorry, this is person. When my band opened up for Limp Biscuit in Kansas City, we fucking sucked. But then again, so did they. The only difference is they became famous and I became a marine. All right, I'm doing this next one. This is Iceman Colbert, the old sexy Alexander Skarsgård. The point, Lance Corporal. We're supposed to be a recon unit of pure warrior spirit. We're out here, 40 clicks in enemy lines, and this man of God here, he's a fucking pog. In pogue. fact, he's pogue. He's an officer pogue. That's one more layer of bureaucracy and unnecessary logistics. One more asshole we need to supply MREs and baby wipes for. And worst of all, Worst of all, Jesse Starcher, the motherfucker doesn't even carry a weapon. When push comes to shove, even Rolling Stone picks up a gun. But this fucking shill of God, he can't cover a sector. He'll never hump an ammo or claymores. This is fucking war. And we're here as warriors. So on top of everything else that's expected of us to do, we really need to drag him along and indulge his make-believe bullshit. Oh, Corporal uh, Ray person. Oh, no. Now, not only do we have to worry about all the charms you've eaten, which, by the way, we need to stop after this. 
Now, not only do we have to worry about all the charms you've eaten, but now Brad's just pissed off God. All right, two things. <laughs> Yes, two things. Sir. Two things. We I, I need to know what a pogue stands for because that's one I didn't know about. Person other than grunt. Okay. All right. And then, do you know the history of charms? So they actually covered that in the in the in the booklet. So, um, one thing is that all militaries have their own version of a, of a ration, uh, individual meal packs, or uh, the U.S. has MREs, meals ready to eat. I guess in the Marine Corps, they have these little candies called charms, which mm-hmm. because of their name, the inference that they're lucky are therefore unlucky. So anyone will automatically throw them the fuck out of their vehicle as soon as they see them. <laughs> so like they even mentioned at some point, oh God, look, it's a charm dump where everyone has literally just dumped all their charms to keep it away from them. All right. So, so then at the end of the show, when he's done it, it's like, okay, we're out of the shit. We can have our charms now. Yes, he was eating the charms up. So these next three, Jesse, then me, then Andrew. Hit it. All right. All right. Hit it, Darren. <laughs> Hit it, Darren. Sergeant Major John Sixta. Marines around this world would gives they left nuts to be <laughs> where you are. I know. That one specifically. I, well, I, I forgot who that character was until I started reading it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hit it, Andrew. Oh, no. Uh, sorry. This, this one's me. This one's me. Yep. Uh, this is Corporal Josh Ray Pearson. You know, it doesn't make you gay if you think Rudy's hot. We all think he's hot. <laughs> and person again. God damn it, Baptista. How the fuck would you like it if I joined the Brazilian Marines and only spoke English? <laughs> um, okay, this is a two-part play. Go ahead. Uh, hit it, hit it, Jesse. All right. Uh, Corporal... Uh, cor- Captain, excuse me. Captain, yeah, Captain. Craig Encino, Encino Man. We'll just put it that way. Encino Man. Doc? I'm all squared away, sir. Doc, I I know the guys look up to you. I, I'd like to hear what you have to say. You're asking me to be frank, sir? Yes. You're incompetent, sir. I'm doing my best. Encino <laughs> <laughs> Man. Gosh, what an idiot. I don't know who was worse. I mean, Encino Man was up there, but Captain America was just off off the chain idiocy sometimes. All right, so um, I'm going to be Pearson and you be uh, Iceman, Andrew. Got it. This is really interesting, Brad. You know, Iraqis don't really seem good at fighting, but they never really completely surrender either. Put down that fucking milkshake and dig a fucking hole. Why? So I can be more like teacher's pet? Yeah, that's exactly it. You should be more like Trombley. More like Trombley? More like Trombley? <laughs> Oh, do it. Sing it to me, Jesse. Sing uh, it. <laughs> s- 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 oh, boy. Oh, now that in context, that's horrible. <laughs> I, this was like the most uncomfortable show. drop it a really drip, seriously Jesse. Is. Don't do drop a drip. Just uh, say it to daddy. Let's go. Sergeant Larry Sean Pappy Patrick. Damn, I'd eat a mile of her shit just to see where it came from. <laughs> that's going to be my ringtone. Um, all right. Go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> Um, hey, Walt, can you get a person again? Hey, Walt, can you keep it down? I'm having trouble hearing the artillery. <laughs> uh, Sergeant Antonio Espera, it makes my heart heavy to see the white race stoop as low as James's mother has. At least if she was Mexican, she'd be ashamed of herself. <laughs> Navy, help me out here. HM2, Robert Timothy Doc Bryan. So, this is Doc. Iraqi's first contact with America. 
we fuck them. <laughs> All right, keep going, Andrew. Ugh, perfect shitting opportunity. Fuck it, I'm going for it. <laughs> yeah, him and it, him having Iceman having like the he has to shit at just the perfect time. <laughs> uh, Pearson, a nut busting Haji is a happy Haji. Uh, <laughs> uh, can I get this one? Let me see what we got here. Oh, can I get this one? Yeah, oh, go for it. Interrogative. Did you find any non-specific destroyed Iraqi armor? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bravo 3's commander. Should I shoot him? Don't waste your bullet. <laughs> Peace sucks a hairy asshole, Freddy. War is the motherfucking answer. Gosh, I, all I want is just like his lines. Uh, like I want all of them in a book so I can read them. I, it's like I, a daily affirmation. <laughs> yes. Please put it on a calendar, Mindy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we have all three. Who wants to be yep. Iceman? Who wants to be person? Who you're wants you're to be... Iceman. You're always I'll be scribe. Careful right, with that rip fuel. Fuck, man. I'm on a I'm on 30 hours no sleep. Beat the record I made in high school when I was on the debate team. Wait, wait a minute. You were on the debate team? What's the channel for the uh, 19s? Uh, 64 and Tad7. Oh, yeah, I was really fucking good, but all the other guys on the team thought I was high all of the time. All right, I'm doing this next one. Sergeant <laughs> Sergeant Major John Sixta. You asked to owe Doc Hundred on fuck yourself. <laughs> Put it on a calendar, Mindy. Because <laughs> yes, that shit should be on the backside of it. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I would be saying that to a lot of people in the group chat. <laughs> Y'all got X amount of minutes to go on. Fuck yourselves. I'm J Jason Teasley. I'm going to need you to unfuck yourself immediately. <laughs> all right. Hit it. Give it to me, Iceman. You know, Poke, guys in the black pajamas did all right in Vietnam, too. Got to respect the pajama. Hey, buddy. It's 10 in the morning. Don't you think you ought to change out of your pajamas? Go for it, Iceman. I'm oh, running around like an airplane. He's, you're, you're, yeah. Actually, I want you to run I, yeah, you right now. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you like? Give him some Rolling Stone drugs or something? I don't know. What the fuck you do to him? I just asked him what he would be if he wasn't a Marine. Oh my God. He wants to be a ballerina. That's my fucking dream. <laughs> Damn, Brad. What else you got hidden in the Humvee? A fat chick? Arr. Oh, here's some Lieutenant Thick. Write this as you see it. I'm not here to stop you. That was like when he looked at him and said that. I was like, nice. I I, I like Thick. He's probably my favorite character out of this. Yeah, Captain. He's, Dave. Not, he's not all right. He's uh, I had to look him up. He's apparently like a ambassador at large for cybersecurity or something like that. Oh no shit. Okay. Cap all right, here's Captain America. Shoot that fucking dog. <laughs> Darnold, g give it a piece of your jerky. Stay frosty, gents. Oh, good quote. Good quote. Semper Gumby, always flexible. <laughs> Semper Gumby. Oh, no, wait. You mocking the groom and standing, Stafford? <laughs> uh, it's important to remember that they'll never take a recon marine alive. Hoorah, sir. <laughs> we need to make sure the stupidity in this company doesn't roll down too hard on our guys. Um, someone start this one off. Uh, Rolling, Rolling Stone? Stone? Perfect. <laughs> Fuck if they don't give us a dope smoking peace freak writer. Oh. Uh, God speed. God fucking speed, you. Fucking Captain America. Is he crying? Is he crying? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give it to me, Andrew. 
daddy's back. Yeah. Oh, that, that was after he took a crap. And <laughs> yep. Hey, he shot tactically. That was good. Shot tactically. <laughs> they want our help to clear a minefield. At night? That's against division orders. Solid copy. Now you copy this. I am not following that order. And then you go again, Mark. They want our help to clear a minefield. You think I, I've never read a script before? <laughs> Iceman. Ray, go for can it. I have one final moment to enjoy the fruits of civilization? <laughs> All right, Sergeant uh, Rodolfo Rudy Reyes. You, can, you do this one. I'll do the last one, Jesse. Okay. Afternoon, sir. Beautiful day to get our war on. <laughs> All right, Navy HM2. Robert Timothy Doc Bryan says, "PFC, fuck nuts. This is an enemy encampment." Doc was, Doc was one of the more interesting characters in this one just because he I think I don't know how true it is but medics seem at least in media always seem to get a lot more attitude, latitude to tell people to fuck off right. <laughs> I will say right. that list is missing one of my favorite quotes in this entire show go ahead hit me, hit me. it's when they're sitting around and they're uh, they're watching the, the mortars come down and it's like this country's really pretty and then scribes like yeah except for all the mortars and then Pearson's like, dude, you gotta stop taking this shit so seriously. It's just random mortars. It's not like anyone's scoping you with an AK. <laughs> All right. That is our review of Generation Kill. I'm super thrilled and happy to have had Andrew Graham on here to give us an education. Andrew, did you enjoy um the uncomfortableness that I made? No. Did you enjoy your time here on uh TV party taking our trip from the corner to the deuce? Dude, I always enjoy this. I am, I am very happy that you guys, you know, allowed me to to join in on this journey. I I haven't watched a lot of these shows or haven't watched them in a long time, and I've certainly enjoyed, you know, the the quality of the discussions you guys have had on it. And and as you can tell, I have a lot of passion for this show, so I'm glad I could I could share it here and, you know, not just you know give you guys my my Cole's notes and Messenger or anything <laughs> like that. So, well, you always appreciate having you on. Um, I wish we had a chance to podcast more often, but. Uh... Uh, to paraphrase Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, uh, life gets in the way. So, no, life Jesse, the way. I said paraphrase. Okay. <laughs> Stop correcting me or I'm not going to have you on the show anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Jesse, Jeff, fun? I mean, like, this is it, man. Like, when, one season of Generation Kill, we're moving to New Orleans now. Seven, seven episodes. And I remember just going, wow, this is going to be interesting because we're, we're hitting this and quitting this. Yeah. So, um yeah i mean yeah i play i was not i was not having i didn't have any issues with this series had a great time uh it was a good war story so i uh yeah had a good time man all right up next three seasons of treme season one will be next month uh in the month of march of 2023 in the year of our lord uh and that will be when the fuck did i put this (laughs) i've moved everything around all month long for one reason or another 23rd of february nope that's the metal hammer of wait that's right i'm in march february you're not wrong um (laughs) it's still january say it again mark (laughs) (laughs) oh this will be fun our first season of treme will be after i've had a colonoscopy (laughs) oh I'm gonna go on a oh sixty feet and have a finger shoved in my butt. Oh <laughs> boy! Dude, it's a Violation, camera, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna put optics on you. <laughs> That's right. They're gonna <laughs> stick me with an AK. So yes, uh, February twenty third. Scoped. <laughs> For season one. 
<laughs> season one of Treme, Life After Katrina. Looking forward to talking with talking about that with you, Jesse. Tr- you know, it's funny. Andrew was just like Generation Kill, a show about nothing, but really interesting talking about nothing. Wait till you hear. Wait till you get to two and a half seasons of fucking Jermé, where you're like, I don't understand what the show's about. Like, I know it's about <laughs> Katrina, but Jesus Christ, does anything happen in this show? I all, all I know is that Anthony Bourdain was a staff writer on it. So, yeah, that, that tracks. All right. Um, in the meantime, in between time, um, this past week, we uh, re-aired our Amon A Marth review from 2013. Jesse and I talked for 20 minutes about slots, and then for 40 minutes about no big deal. It was great. I uh, still haven't found the fucking dodgeball scene, and I'm not yes. now. I, and now I'm not convinced it was that movie. I'm questioning, um, sir. Questioning <laughs> you. Yeah, uh, I, I should absolutely be questioned. Um, <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> uh, we reviewed Glass Onion, and we had a uh, great talk about wrestlers turned actors. Um, we had uh. From the movies that don't suck and some that do, they did their review of the Pale Blue Eye and um, what was the other one? Megan or M. Tregan. Uh, and then us tonight, we did Generation Kill. This weekend, we've got Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, um, The Shield, which I was on back in the day. And then we've got our re airing of Philotape Ensemble and the Illegals, Walkthrough Exits Only. Uh, the guys from Movies That Don't Suck and Some That Do will have their Tar and Plane review up Monday. Uh, myself, Neil from Movies That Don't Suck and Some That Do, plus uh, Chris Bailey and I will be talking the Royal Rumble in the in the uh, afternoon on Monday, January 30th. We'll I be doing our review. eternally enjoys that. Yeah. Um, we'll be reviewing The Pale Blue Eye on Damn You Hollywood Tuesday night, Tuesday morning. We'll be re-airing our UFC 241 alternative commentary for Cormier versus Magic 2. And then uh, Andrew Graham will be back with us again a week from tonight talking on the Whiskey Rebellion. We're going to put uh, him and we're going to put Andrew Graham and Jeff and Jeff Sloboda in the same room and let them fight it out. See, see, see what happens. Um, but we're also going to talk war movies and what was the, uh, it was something about manliness. Modern fatherhood. What was it? Modern fatherhood. Yep, yeah. there's an article on the blog Fatherly that, w- that I was interested in that talked about like uh, modern modern fatherhood. And we're all fathers, so I think we uh, we had, you know even Jeff has progeny, um, so we'll all have uh, something to weigh in on for that. So that's what's going on in the Rattle and Broadcasting Network. Jesse, why don't you tell us about your real friends that you like more than me? <laughs> Here we go, <laughs> guilt trip nonstop. Get in the car. We're going on a guilt trip. Oh, boy. Well, hey, just one show to look forward to coming up this coming Monday, uh, which will be unspoken issues in our discussion. If you went to Pizza Hut back in the 90s, there's a fair chance that you picked yourself up an X-Men comic at one point with your personal pan pizza. And we talk about said comics uh, on that very first episode and then we have a follow-up on i think the very next week uh for our second part of pizza Hut comics which include real heroes and the comics that came with uh the vhs cassette tapes of the x-men animated series so anyway check that out it's a lot of fun we had a i i guarantee you there's at least three pizza hut commercials in that podcast from the 90s that you can listen to a lot of fun pizza hut making it great not a sponsor but i will tell you that I'll leave you with one thing. Run it in a straight line and not in a serpentine fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. And lastly, Andrew Graham, where do you like to put on pajamas and roll around with men? 
Thanks, Mark. That was dignified. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wrong. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we also never mind. I'm not even gonna go. I'm not even gonna try to make a joke because it's not. He, he's playing on rolling with you here. I in a few seconds, Mark. Esteem and Havoc Martial Arts here in Calgary. Uh, go check us out on Facebook. Part of the uh, the Greater GQ Athletic Association, as Mark mentioned, I will be the proverbial Alexander Hel- Hamilton to the Whiskey Rebellion next Thursday. Look forward <laughs> to seeing you guys again. All right, folks, that's it. Um, this concludes our review of Generation Kill uh, from the Corner to the Deuce, the great works of David Simon. We'll be back again next month for Andrew Graham and Jesse Starcher. I'm a pain in the ass. Be well, be safe, and behave. And- <laughs>